from Argus Media, this is Driving Discussions, a podcast series focusing on the forces that affect road fuels globally. I'm Jason Metko, spot ticker reporter here at Argus. Pleased to be joined once again by Argus's Senior Vice President and Global Head of Oil Products, Stephen Jones. In this episode, we'll dive into the latest within the landscape of the sector as the calendar year is winding down and briefly touch on the COP26 Climate Summit, which recently concluded in Glasgow, Scotland. Stephen, welcome back to the presentation. Let's dive right in with that notion that 2021 is fast approaching its end. What are we to surmise about the current state of the landscape as we're almost done with this year? It's a good question, Jason. There's been so many moving parts this year, and we've come out of COVID uh, relatively strong through late 2020 into 2021. The economy was blossoming. We ended up with the supply chain shortage issues that have prompted and tempted inflationary pressures. And now we've ended up into this winter energy crisis that most of our listeners and clients have read along with us and understand what's going on for the most part. But just to briefly remind everyone that all these moving parts have been overshadowed through the month of October with high outright crude prices driven by BTU or energy shortages in Asia with coal shortages and flooding of the mines, as we mentioned before in past podcasts, but also the natural gas issues and supply imbalances in Europe uh, have pulled hard on LNG and LPG and uh, created a a strong lifting of outright crude prices for oil substitution potential and expectations around what that looked like through the winter. We aren't into the winter yet, and yet crude prices were bid up. And I'd kind of bring it back closer to primary gasoline demand, for instance, where in many respects, we haven't really seen the end of gasoline season. Normally, we see strong numbers through summer. They begin to plateau and ease off after the Labor Day weekend, and we have a lull before Thanksgiving travel picks up. And so now we've had, through this whole year, the development around the economy, COVID controls vaccination progress, that plateaus. We've gone through a few humps in the the COVID cycle, with lockdowns being relieved and lower case rates and less severities and people feeling more, how should I say, risk tolerant to go about their business and move about the world freely, more freely, I should say. Now we're moving into the holiday season with Thanksgiving upon us. And just over the weekend, AAA uh, is now calling for a prediction of 53.4 million people traveling in the U.S. over Thanksgiving holiday which would be up by 13% against uh, you know, COVID numbers of 2020. And that's going to bring the total traveling population in the U.S. close to 5% of the pre-pandemic levels of 2019. Those are pretty robust numbers. And, and what I've been kind of bracing for, and you just casually look about the market and where uh, industry and other events have opened up, um, concerts, ball games, uh, schools, everything, people are are still very mindful of the COVID exposures, but they're going on about their business now. we got increasing numbers of people vaccinated. Uh, people have either accepted or, or overcome their complacencies and thinking about the safety and health guidelines. And the consumer confidence is just continuing to build momentum. So either people are more at ease or they're willing to take these higher risks and start traveling again. And what we've ended up with is that the gasoline season, the gasoline price has been strong. Gasoline season never really ended. We're running in the U.S. anywhere between 9.2 million to 9.5 million barrels a day of gasoline demand, which is basically extraordinarily strong for this time of year, even in a non-COVID market environment. 
We also have, generally speaking, low inventory levels, uh, particularly in the what we call the Pad 1 market, which is primarily the U.S. East Coast markets. Uh, so we've got, generally speaking, uh, low inventories in, in a high demand market, and we've got high or medium well-supplied markets in the U.S. Gulf Coast that depends on pipeline transfers to move barrels of gasoline supply into the East Coast market. And so some of the pipelines are running fully allocated. Colonial Pipeline has been uh, on allocation, meaning shippers may want to move more than the pipeline can accept for a given shipping window at the moment. Uh, so that is creating some, generally, uh, some tightness of supply uh, with strong demand and the holidays upon us. And I think we're going to squeeze out of the Thanksgiving holiday with a lot of hindsight around what happened and whether that extends ongoing gas and price support between the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S. and globally, the Christmas end of year celebrations and travel and other markets that add stress to the balances. So all told, uh, you know, we've had a number of issues developing around the market that have added price support, and we mustn't lose sight of some of that underlying primary demand that has given less latitude for flexibility and how the supply of the market and the, the call for additional supplies to come on the market, be it Biden asking OPEC to release barrels or Biden challenging the process to decide on releasing SPR, strategic petroleum reserve barrels to add supply to the market as, as prompt price relief. But uh, all told, you know, the market is in a nice period of balance if we don't have an extraordinarily strong winter and require a lot of the oil substitution for these natural gas uh, shortages and coal BT requirements uh, by substituting oil in these other markets. We do expect that the OPEC continued increases through the balance of the springtime, winter into springtime next year, and a slowing of the rate of growth, not a reversal of growth, but a slowing of the rate of increase that the market will reachieve and even start to begin replenishing balances and, and outright prices are already starting to reflect a little bit of easing. We've moved from North Sea data Brent crude prices that were in the mid 80s now in the low 80s today. You know, it's not easy to call day to day market volatility, but a lot of the activities around market events are beginning to calm the market and the, the outright futures prices are backwardated, meaning the Ford strip for future price accrued is lower than today's numbers, which I think reflects the fact that this is a, uh, a near-term market expectation around demand versus shortage of supply to cover, and, uh, and so just a prompt market issue that we'll live through for the next few months. But it is a political lightning rod, if you will, with you know, the U.S. politicians in particular, Biden in particular, trying to find a way to ease the gasoline prices for the for the constituency, the U.S. citizens and, and, and the like, where it is imposing an additional financial hardship during a period when people are expected to travel pretty strongly. I was just going to ask you, following up on that, we see prices pretty high. There are a lot of consumers saying that they're too high. The opponents of the president say he needs to do something. Doesn't really seem, though, that he has a whole lot of levers to pull, does he, Stephen? No, he doesn't. And actually, the, the irony of it is that um, with the volatility in oil prices and the uh, drastic drop in outright prices, 
The U.S. crude producers are independents or, or they're integrated oil companies that are publicly owned stocks, but not national oil companies like a lot of the other international producers. And therefore, there is no as a strong arm lever you can pull politically regulatorily to instigate prompt increase in U.S. crude production. Our U.S. crude production had fallen uh, with COVID and the demand uh, precipitous drop, and it has stabilized at a number that is has some continuity for the foreseeable future, but we don't see tremendous money flows from the financial sector coming back in near term. We are starting to see talk of increased drilling. Uh, we've worked off some of the inventory of what are called in the industry drilled uncompletes, meaning they were wells that were drilled that can produce with some incremental investment without the full expense of the initial drilling cost. We've worked off those inventories for the most part. So now we do need increased drilling to see uh, additional crude supply. And that's why Biden went to OPEC uh, a while back and asked for directional increase in supplies from OPEC. The group met and decided to hold to the plan of increasing output 400,000 barrels each month, according to the original plan. And as, as far as we would expect, that's generally moving on course. And if they continue to do so with the demand growth slowing, again, we might see a little bit of restocking or replenishment on a global crude inventory standpoint and bring prices softer from the overheated numbers of the mid-80s we're experiencing today. He is Senior Vice President and Head of Global Oil Products at Argus Media. Stephen Jones, this is Driving Discussions. Stephen, we'll get you out on this this time around. COP26 Climate Summit was in the news the last few weeks over in Glasgow, Scotland. It recently winded down. What do we surmise from that very, very large gathering going forward as to real substantive changes that we're going to be seeing? That's an excellent question. The real sustainable changes that will be anticipated will take time for all the documentation and the individual country-level commitments and the funding to match up uh, before many of us will be able to ascertain hard facts and figures for the implications of the two-week investment of literally 40,000 visitors into Glasgow and all the additional politicians and climate specialists that gathered to make these inferred commitments. But basically, I think it's continued indication, if you will, of the need for clear policy and direction for climate change solutions. There was a, a sense of accomplishment by those that directly participated to come away with clear definition on some commitments, but some of the wording and language was, let's just say, used as a, a point of contention. India and China were highlighted in the press as having weakened some of the language from saying phasing out fossil fuels to phasing down on use of fossil fuels in some of the language. And people are nitpicking these aspects. But the fact that many of the world leaders and emission-required management processes were discussed and came away with uh, levels of commitments and at least bracketed where and how some of the funding requirements will come from is continuing to set the trajectory for 
addressing some of the climate change initiatives. So uh, it's not all negative, but it wasn't clear that there's a pathway defined for some of the alternative and transition fuels like hydrogen. Hydrogen was discussed in longer term planning aspects of how the fuel could be used, but other pathways were hardcore strictly focused on let's electrify you know vehicle fleets and look for renewable power generation and just jump straight to that endpoint. Uh, and those pathways are complicated and aren't real clear that there's major consistency in different uh, geographical markets that have quite varied needs and requirements and for that matter uh, ability of applying or supplying I should say uh, those different power sources from renewable requirements. But what is positive from at least our standpoint from a liquid fuels perspective is that there is a lot of momentum behind biofuels and sustainable aviation fuels, SAF as it's called. There was clear alignment that airlines have few alternatives and that there is a significant contribution to GHG from air travel. And sustainable aviation fuels are known pathway for solving part of uh, that transition requirement. And so the continuation of the uptake, both on the voluntary acceptance of the airlines to move to SAF, as well as some uh, more advanced regulatory developments that are requiring that transition on defined timelines, uh, we are starting to see the rather accelerating process of the use of renewal diesel and sustainability and fuels and uh, the related trade processing and pricing requirements. So that is a positive. So COP26 is one for the record books that we will be as an industry and um, stakeholders in this process, be it a consumer or, or someone involved directly in industry, is gonna be deciphering for uh, the months ahead for that matter. So in my opinion, it was somewhat anticlimactic, but a necessary requirement, and there will be some good things that come from it in setting the direction of pace as we parse the different fuel in the different transportation sectors to establish those timelines uh, for this kind of reset on the environmental pathway. We always learn a lot when he's on the presentation. Argus is Senior Vice President and Global Head of Oil Products, Stephen Jones. Mr. Jones, as always, we appreciate the time, sir. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you after the Thanksgiving break. Thanks, Jason. Good talking to you, and I wish everyone a happy holiday season ahead, and we'll talk to you soon. And thus concludes another edition of Driving Discussions produced by Argus Media. If you've enjoyed the presentation today, be sure to check out the other episodes in our series. And for more information on Argus's global refined products coverage, visit ArgusMedia.com forward slash oil dash products. Thank you.